The following program was produced by a community producer. The content, views, and opinions expressed are the sole responsibility of the community producer and do not reflect Malden Access Television, the City of Malden, or your cable provider. MATV welcomes your comments. Call us at 781-321-6400 or email us at access at matv.org. Good evening, and welcome to Malden 02148. I'm your guest host this evening, Ed Lucy, and I have as my guest Michael Festa, State Director of AARP. That's that's exactly, you got the title right, Ed. Not only that, but he's our neighbor from Melrose. That's, yeah, I only had to drive about a mile and a half to get here. Yes, well, um, for those few people who may not be aware of those initials, basically AARP is... Well, we don't have a. For what I'm glad you brought that up. We don't call it what you think we're going to call it. It's like Kentucky Fried Chicken. They just say KFC. For us, we don't go back to the old days. We just say AARP. And the reason simply is that about 40 percent of our members are still working. Because, and you know, so uh, we just we're AARP. But yeah. we do represent people 50 plus. Age 50 and over. Yeah, 50 and over. So yes. you're a junior member. You've joined a few years yeah, ago. Yeah, I get the, the, uh, the discount. Yeah, <laughs> as you should. <laughs> I never buy the long-term membership. I just renew the... Well, it's, <laughs> you know, I, I like that. That's a good attitude, too. By the way, I got I, I just resigned, uh, uh, coincidentally, and yeah. uh, I, I think I did two years instead of one or three. Do yeah, I you can get like five. Of, uh, did, they give you, did they give you a refund if you're not around the whole time? Well, I suppose you could talk to the, your estate lawyer and make sure they handle that. But it's only about 16 bucks a year, so yeah, it's not too much. It's, frankly, you'll have other problems to worry about. Well, oh, it's actually You won't have any problems to worry yeah, about. Yeah, it's actually a bargain because I've been a member for yeah. a long time and yeah. always been impressed with the kind of services they make available. And yeah. I'm, not, I'm not always sure... Even people that are members realize how many choices you have in terms of yeah. what's available as a member right. for, for um, your health reasons and for uh, sure. discount. Maybe you could give us a little bit of a well, background. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to do that, Ed. And I, I guess I would start by saying that we've got 38 million members in the United States and over 765,000 just in Massachusetts. So okay. a lot of folks who are members. And, um, you know, in my role as state director, just, just to orient you and the, and the, and the, and the folks watching, um, the state offices, and each state has an office, we do two things that are focused on what we call our social mission. It's our, we're a nonprofit. Our social mission is to uh, support people 50-plus in every aspect of their life experiences and interests. So we do a lot of work in the area of health security, financial security, uh, dealing with, uh, you know, issues like fraud, and, you know, there's a lot of stuff that comes on our way. And and so the way we show that uh, social mission or, or execute, if you will, the social mission is we do a lot of advocacy. 
We're political lobbyists, so we're lobbying in Congress, we're lobbying in the State House on issues that affect our members. And then we're also doing programs and services. And so, for example, we'll do shred events. And, you know, in the day when they didn't know the pandemic, and we're going to resume this soon, uh, we asked people to take their uh, sensitive financial records and drop them off. And we just have a shred truck that we buy and uh, rent for the day. And, and we just have people just throw it for nothing. And, uh, you know, there's no charge. All of our services of that nature are no charge. We do a lot of, um, now with the pandemic, by the way, Ed, I, w I want to make this note. We love to deliver in-person events. I mean, that's our bread and butter. However, with the pandemic, we obviously have had to change our format completely. But what happens is we have found that one of the benefits is that people who would, let's say we did an event at the Sheridan, the old Sheridan in Framingham, you know, some sort of somewhat central and it would be a saving for retirement event. We'd have an expert coming in from Washington or, you know, whomever. And we would provide lunch and, you know, the, sometimes a full half day. So we'd start with breakfast. That is a very expensive thing for us to put on. And sometimes people would not want to make the drive. Now we'll do the same event virtually on a, you know, with Zoom. And we'll get the same number, if not more, people. And it costs us less to do it. But people are getting the content which is to talk about, you know, how do you deal with retirement? I mean, how do you plan for it if you're in retirement? How do you protect your savings? Uh, that's why we do a lot of work on fraud, you know, so I could kind of go. So in conclusion, that's what I and my team and the hundreds of volunteers we have, that's what we're doing. Now, quite apart from that, we've got the products and services for which I have nothing to do with. I don't sell anything. I don't, you know... Uh, uh, but but the magazine you get as a member and the bulletin you get as a member is part of our nonprofit mission. So it's sharing information about lifestyle, uh, talking about uh, tips on health and whatever. And, they, you know, each month we always have a celebrity on the front page you recognize generally. Uh, so it's good. Yes. Um, actually, um, <laughs> now that you mention it. You want to give me your membership application? Is well, that no, no, no. Uh, this is this, this is the packet I received when oh, I okay. renewed. Oh, and, yeah. and, and, and just as a point of interest to the people. Look at that. They get you, look at this. Edwin. I mean, they've got your name right out front there. That's it. Yeah. Edwin. I like yeah. that. They should have said, Dear Mayor Lucy. <laughs> you know, because you're always the mayor of the city of Malden. Well, in my uh, book. Uh, thank you very much. Yep. It's like being a judge, I've said to some people. But. The, but yeah. For instance, uh, cellular phone. There's, there's, yeah, you, you get the consumer cellular, right. Um, we don't, I, you know, again, I'm not promoting it. No, I know. So that's I'm not why supposed, I'm, that's why you're I'm trying to get me in trouble, Ed. No, because no, I'm trying to bring it up. That's oh, okay, that's very oh, good. Yeah, well, yeah. Com consumer cellular, and, and Ed says you should look into that. Just a variety of things. Um, they also have uh, uh, available through uh, one of their sponsors, uh, car insurance. And, yeah, the, yeah, the and in this instance here, if if you contact them, maybe just to compare rates with current carrier that you have with with um, on your cars now, and even if you don't uh, decide to make a change, they give you a free gift, which is a, a weekend uh, duffel. Oh, it's very good. Yeah. So the point is, I'm only mentioning that uh, being yeah. in the insurance business myself. Ah, is, that's right. Is yeah. that uh, it isn't it always is necessary to make a change, but you might think about it a little bit if you, if you just want to satisfy yourself but the low price isn't always what you want to look at you want right. to look at services Quality, and personal yeah. attention is also a factor but they all if you if you were thinking about a credit card for instance they have one here where you get a hundred dollar 
cash uh, bonus if you use it up to $500 over 90 days. And then, then they also give you points, which uh, t in, my, in my mind, that's one of the big factors. Maybe you, sure, uh, sure. particularly for people who keep an active card, you don't have to keep a balance, but if you if you if you do a lot of spending, rather lug around the cash because yeah. people don't carry cash much anymore. But much. you can get uh, points, which tr translate into cash later on, either by applying the point accumulation in terms of mm -hmm. dollars to your balance, or you yep. can get a check yep. set directly. So there's there's other things. They um, there's also um, a, they have Medicare supplementary insurance, oh, yeah. and they send you other information that you can. I'm not going to go over all apps, them, but the but as an organization, we try to support our members yeah, with and, benefits. And, and, yeah, and yeah. Uh, they're doing it as a thirty part third party, which means you look at it, you choose, and you and um, mm -hmm. um, even they, I know they have a they have a, a discount available if you if you're in one a person and maybe your family or you individually want to have a medical alert handy in sure, case you file sure. or you, you, yeah. you, you needed some help at home. There is a lot of it. I will see, share this, which I'm allowed to talk about. And again, I'm, I'm being serious about this because yeah. as a lobbyist and as, uh, as a no, in the nonprofit world that I'm in, uh, we're in that, you know, social mission part. But as an example of where you can sort of make the connection, we're doing, we have what they call an innovation lab. It's called the hatchery, you know, hatching ideas uh, in Washington. And it brings together some really cutting edge technologies to um, work with our members to see what's going to catch and what, you know, might not uh, play. Um, and a good example of that, we use our Massachusetts office quite a bit because there are many Massachusetts technology companies that are doing product research. And so oftentimes our members will go into our state office uh, and we have a, you know, a spot for them, a conference room. And they, I'll give you an example. They have the Oculus, you know, the, the uh, headset, which is essentially virtual reality. So if you want to, if you can't go to the Isla Capri anymore like you do every year, you can put this on and you can be immersed in the Blue Lagoon without being there. And that kind of technology for seniors is opens up a whole new world of opportunity. Imagine, you know, the, being in the room with your grandkids, even though they're in Seattle, with uh, virtual reality. So there's all kinds of technologies that ARP is very interested in learning about and promoting, and in some cases investing. So there's, yeah, it's a. It's a big, it's a big organization, and for me, you know, I, I, I speak candidly on a personal note. Um, you know, you know, I was a public servant for many, many years. I was going to bring that right? up, and, yeah. and you know, whether it was in the House of Representatives or even in local government for twelve years in Melrose. Um, I will tell you, even as Secretary of Elder Affairs, um, which was a great honor to be there, uh, this is the best job I've ever had, and I'll, fundamentally, why is I get to be an advocate, as I've always wanted to be as a lawyer. That's what I, I certainly am trained to be. And I, so I can do the political stuff, but I don't have to run. I don't have to ask for campaign so, uh, donations. Uh, but at the same time, I'm helping people that I really care about. I've always had an affinity for older people. Uh, we learn this in our own family relationships, and that's, I have great memories of my grandmother, uh, Clea, Clelia uh, was her name. Clara was her Americanized name from Beachmont. And uh, she was the brightest person in our whole family. I'll tell you that right now. But like a lot of our immigrant uh, generations before us, you know, she had a third grade education. But she was as smart as anyone. And 
So I think about that first and, and realize that seniors are a big part and should be a big part of anyone's life. And a lot of what AARP is trying to do is connect intergenerational experiences. And I can go on and talk about isolation, for example. You know, we're worried. Big, big problem. It's a big problem. And, and the pandemic exposed people who are not used to being isolated. You know, I mean, the, the average person who works and couldn't go into Boston, couldn't go to the restaurants, all the other stuff we experienced, all of a sudden they're saying, gee, this is not... You know, how much TV can I watch? How many, how many Netflix movies? You know what I mean? And then you say to yourself, you know what? There are people pre-pandemic and now post-pandemic who are living that life every day that we don't know about. And there's, there's a lot of isolation. There's a lot of loneliness. Uh, what we need to do, uh, and ARP is very much involved in this, is we've got to connect our communities with our friends and our neighbors and there's a lot of ways to do that. We, we have a program, uh, a movement called the Age Friendly Movement, which we work very closely with cities and towns uh, to you know, promote programs that get people out of the house, transportation opportunities, because a lot of people have limitations on that. Um, you know, uh, wellness programs, uh, Good Neighbor. There's a big Good Neighbor Day coming up in September that we're gonna be promoting uh, so there's just all these things about being with ARP that I personally find very satisfying uh, because you know it matters to people. It, it affects their lives and hopefully for the better. Now, how long, how, how long have you been affiliated with ARP? Well, I've been the state director for eight years, a little okay. over eight years, so it's time flies. Yeah, yeah and uh, although you didn't go into detail, I think you were a school committee in Melrose as well as in Alderman? I was on the school committee. I got elected first time. This is going to date me badly. 1973. <laughs> I was 18 years old, freshman at Tufts University. I ran for school committee in my city. You must and have been the youngest one ever elected. I was elected. youngest elected in the state at the time. Um, but I start. yeah, I was on four years on the school committee and two years on the board of aldermen, in the, and I still hadn't graduated from law school. By the time I got out, I had six years. But then I became a prosecutor, you know, in, uh, in the district attorney's office, so I couldn't be in public office. I took a hiatus, jumped back into board of aldermen for six years, then I got elected to the House of Representatives. Yeah, so yeah. In the time that you've been, what's the big change in, since the, uh, the virus? Well, I'll, you, you, so this is a good news, bad news story, right? I mean, let's think about it as an example. I tested this morning. Um, I was at a, I'm on the board of directors of a group called Operation Able, which is an older worker training program funded through the federal and state resources, donations, et cetera. But the simple mission of Operation Able is to is to train older workers who have been out of the workforce because perhaps they raised children, um, perhaps they lost their jobs from the pandemic, et cetera, and they don't have confidence and they maybe have lack of skills for a Microsoft suite of office requirements or even working on the internet, et cetera. And a lot of our jobs today require you know tech savvy. So these training programs are really good. Well, the point is this morning, I was one of the speakers at an event which normally would have been held in downtown Boston, which would have been a fun, it is a fundraiser. 
Uh, last year, Governor Baker spoke. Uh, you know, this year we had the Secretary of Labor and Workforce uh, Development. But the convenience of being in Melrose, sitting in my basement law office room, and being able to speak, and know that the organization still raised the same amount of money and spent a lot less doing it. Um, that's a benefit that to organizations. Now, translating that into personal experiences, we have a lot of volunteers, uh, hundreds of volunteers. And the good news is that many of them who would otherwise not be able to do as much volunteering, for some of them, they're trained now to, say, do a fraud presentation, how to protect yourself from being in, you know, a victim of fraud. Well, the once they're trained, they can do that. They can do that virtually. They can do that a lot more frequently. They can do it in I different parts of the state. They may live in, uh, we have one uh, super volunteer who lives in the um, South Coast, and he's doing Pittsfield you know, presentations, which would be a lot to ask of him if he were having to drive out there. So the benefit of doing everything virtually that way has been to the good. The, before I came today, I testified before a legislative committee, um, said hi to the chairman who was the, I was his vice chair in 2006. He's still there? He's still there. Tony Cabral from New Bedford, great guy. Uh, but anyway, I got to testify virtually. And on a piece of legislation that AARP is very concerned with, which I'm happy to talk about on retirement, but just to finish the point, um, it could not have happened for me to go into Boston, find the parking for 40 bucks, spend a, you know two hours waiting or an hour and a half waiting, then drive out to Malden to talk to Ed Lucy. It wouldn't have happened. Especially since we're re rescheduled twice. Exactly, and you're a big <laughs> priority. And by the way, with the legislature, we got the notice on Friday. Hey, how would you like to testify on Wednesday? Said, Wait a minute. But with the pandemic the legislature is doing all of their hearings have been virtually and i don't mind telling you i know a lot of these reps uh if you had to drive from north adams three hours 15 minutes away from the state house three to four times a week and instead be in your district in your neighborhood and still do your job virtually that's pretty convenient so um those are all good things you know the bad news is the bad news is Isolation's worse. Uh, people are wiggy. I mean, I don't know how else to put it. We, we just even I know for myself, I'm a social animal, and I, even my own team, I complain. I say, you know, whatever happened to the day when I could just leave my office, go down the corridor, talk to one of my staff, shut the door, let's talk. You know what I mean? Or let's have a team meeting. You know, it's a spur of the moment thing. Now you got to you know send the invitations out. You got to organize. You know, it's not the same from that. The last thing that's a bad, uh, unfortunate for us is we had a real challenge with our tax aid program. We have almost 600 volunteers who, do, for free, do taxes for people every year. 20,000 tax returns, historically, all around the state. But when all the senior centers that we were inviting people to draw, you know, to meet with their volunteer to do the tax return, they were all shut down for two years. They've been, this is the second year in a row. And it really put a damper on the ability to deliver that very important benefit. And I felt really bad because some seniors were really caught in a tough situation. We were doing some of them virtually. We were encouraging them to go to other places, which is sad because we didn't want to do that. But 
that was a problem. Now, with all the changes that are happening, we're getting back in the saddle, as we say. I'm looking forward to next tax season. Well, who looks forward to taxes? But let's just say I'm looking forward to the tax aid program going back to a in-person experience. Yeah. My sense is that in a lot of situations in the future, mm -hmm. you mentioned the state hearings that you yep. attended. I heard on the radio the other day that um, because of the convenience for people dealing with the kinds of things that you mentioned, the parking, the distance, maybe they're having uh, some limitations depending on the age, that even in the future, those hearings might very well be similar then as they are now. Rather than have people go to a site in the, in the Boston on Beacon Hill, right. they'll have the hearing and you can zoom in and you can be registered to testify and you can be in your home or you can be conveniently at another location. Or even out of your office. But yeah. you're not 50 miles away going into Boston. And yeah. in some instances, although it wouldn't be expected to happen, you could have a hearing scheduled, emergency came up, and uh, all of a sudden because of that priority, they might have to postpone the hearing. The other part that's it's just and you've already driven fifty miles. Exactly. and you paid forty bucks for the parking. Well, and I was just going to mention that again that the parking is an expensive position. And so if you yeah. if you roll the dice and you parked at a meter and ran out of time and got a ticket, that's even more expensive than if you parked the car. So oh yeah, in that sense, I think in a lot of ways in the future, some of these things that are, that we can't really think of as being going back, going back won't be the same in the yeah. same because of the cha potential changes, and, and that that's a factor in, in the. Which makes it uh, more important, maybe for sometimes for for a situation like AIP, because among the articles recently in the in the pu monthly publication you received was the, all the scams that were occurring among right. uh, older people. But they're in the homes, they're isolated, like you said, and worse than that, they they need some kind of social interaction, so they get phone calls or they get uh, information coming to them electronically. And it turns out, uh, in some instances, it's all someone, right. maybe not even in America, having access to, to right. by the random use of numbers, coming up and making a contact with someone who just wants to hear a voice. And yeah. it ends up they get, uh, some instances, they get defrauded, and they're embarrassed to tell their family. And sometimes it can continue because then, then their phone number gets passed around for another scheme. Mm -hmm. So, again. No, you hit on a, I'm glad you brought it up, Ed, because. Truth be told, this is probably the most recurring challenge that we have as a society. And as we know, governments are not immune. Uh, our whole infrastructure is not immune. And, and, uh, and when you think about that typical victim, now, you know, I want to make this clear. I think that, that there's a myth about older people being uncomfortable with the Internet and being more likely to be victimized uh, because of it. The highest percentage of people, population-wise, that are victims of scams on the Internet are millennials and those who are Gen Xers because they use this more, and they also can get trapped because all of those phishing expeditions that are done by these slimy scammers are very sophisticated, and you click the wrong link, and all of a sudden you open your computer to all kinds of viruses. So, but with that said, part of our mission at ARP is to continuously remind our members, number one, it's not your fault. These people are very sophisticated. Number two, 
do not be silent, even though it's totally understandable that you don't want to admit that you were taken advantage of. And by the way, one of the reasons why a lot of them don't want to admit it is because maybe their, their daughter or the son may say, gee, dad's slipping. Maybe he shouldn't have a checkbook anymore. That's what they think, and they, you know what, sometimes that's exactly what the scary part of it is. So, you know, there's a lot of barriers to uncovering it. So what we try to do to make, to turn the tables on this whole conversation is we constant, if you become a member of the Fraud Watch Network, and by the way, for those who want to get, ARP.org is the website, slash Fraud Watch Network. We have a constantly updated website that goes through all the most current scams, the top 15 scams that are going on, and we keep people informed. And so the little things you can do, such as, and by the way, one of the things, you talk about people being lonely and they love to have a conversation, even if they don't know the person. It's somebody to talk to, right? The longer you're on the phone, the more likely it is that scammer is going to sell your phone number because they know you're a live customer, a potential victim. If you immediately hang up, they're not going to get the same sense that you're a good target. So actually, when you get a phone call and you do not recognize that number, you hang up. Now think about it. If it's an important person that needs to talk to you, they're going to call you back or they're going to leave a message on your voicemail. Then you can make a judgment as to whether that's a phone number you should call back. But you should never accept a phone call from someone, a number you don't recognize. That's just a nice, straightforward way of taking control over, the, over that. And then, of course, with the Internet, uh, you know, never, ever, ever open a link. You know, check out, I saw a video of you uh, with your grandchild. Oh, that sounds fun. Well, guess what? That's a phishing. So, you, you know, you see any of that stuff and you just ignore it or delete it. Before you, were, you arrived, uh, my phone rang. Oh, and it wasn't me. No, that's right. And uh, that's the old story about they asked uh, Einstein one time, what was his phone number? And he said, I don't know. I never called myself. But anyway, <laughs> uh, my phone rang, and, and I wasn't going to answer yep. it mm -hmm. for those reasons that you just mentioned. But then because you were running late because there was a little bit of a miscommunication about the actual time to be here, I thought, well, maybe you're calling. So I, I got the message. And, and it, it was a call that I've received before. And um, it, 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 there was, uh, and I only listened to part of it, was uh, uh, it dealt with Amazon, that I had a, a charge on, at Amazon. Oh. There was one a while back that for like $1,200, and they wanted to confirm information, which obviously is just a lead on for me to sure. respond, which I didn't do. But this one here was, it was and I never finished it to get the information because obviously it wasn't. Click. Yeah, it was an Amazon thing again. And now... Again, um, that number that I have in my phone is out there somewhere, and that number, like you said, maybe, maybe inadvertently. You get them all the time. Yeah, I, be, yeah. I, I have a, my iPhone. I, I think I shut. Yeah, actually, you know what? I think I put it in the other room. Yeah. Uh, I get calls all the time, and, um, you know, it's the temptation, of course, is to tell them where to go. I, I hope this is, I know it's Like the guy that double parked out in, uh, on uh, Pleasant Street just when I was coming here. Oh, my God. I imagine that <laughs> would have been a lot of... But he had a big dog. Of, yeah, well, that's... Yeah, and, and uh, you had good sense to, to, to cool your jets. Well, but the point is, of course, the serious point, as we know, is that, uh, you know, it's a tough world out there. And you think about the, uh, the ones who are now extorting money. They're going after hospitals. 
they're going after infrastructure, gas, oil, meat, food, because they know that these are necessary items and the owners of those companies or the, the hospital, this is life and death. So they're taking advantage, of the, which, by the way, there's a simple point to be made. Every 100% of these people are low-life criminals, 100%. They have no conscience. They could care less. Whether, they are com whether they're in the United States or in, they're in Croatia or some other place we've never heard of, doesn't matter. With the Internet, you can do it anywhere. And that's number one. Number two is no sympathy, no mercy. These people are all looking to take advantage of you, and we as, at ARP are very concerned uh, that unfortunately a few of them are uh, successful. So we got to keep that up. Now, is your staff currently working remote? Yeah, everybody's working remote. Starting next month, uh, me, uh, my, my business manager, and my uh, manager of outreach programs are going to yeah. be going in a couple times a week. Uh, once, actually, only once a week. Starting in September, we're all going to go back intermittently. Um, you know, we don't know yet f f as an organization whether we're going to stay uh, hybrid. Uh, it's unlikely, I, I, which I think is unfortunate because I, you know, here's a good example. It's kind of a personal thing. Um, normally, my drill is if it's good weather, I take the bike from Boston Rock Road to Oak Grove, get on the Orange Line, get to State Street, walk up Beacon Hill, go to my office. That whole experience is about an hour of my life. Same thing on the way home. My wife drops me off, I may save 15 minutes, but usually not that much. Those two hours, I'm now sitting at my desk doing my work. So I'm being actually more productive not having to commute. Every one of my staff uses public transportation. We have 10. All use public transportation. So. I know for them it has been not only convenient, but it's allowed them to be more flexible in their time. But I'm a good soldier. You know, whatever the organization requires is what I'm going to have to comply with and my team will comply with. But I've encouraged the national folks to consider um, at least some telecommuting as an option on occasion in order to uh, take advantage of the, you know, the value of that. Uh, and one last thing. This is to a lot of folks who I think are in their own situation, companies, wherever they work. One of the biggest surprises that most companies have found is that they've been more productive as employees telecommuting, not just for the reason I gave, but because the advantages to telecommuting serve the business purpose. They serve the business purpose. I can testify at a state house hearing, which is my business purpose, from my house, just as easily as walking from one Beacon Street over to Beacon Hill, which is obviously very right around the corner. But the fact of the matter is that there's a lot of the benefit. And I think companies, before the pandemic started, were looking at teleworkers as, well, they're, maybe they're not working as hard. Our productivity as a staff have, has been unbelievable. We've gotten more wins in advocacy than we ever have. We've done, we've reached a lot more people. Like I say, when we do a, a good example, we're doing, we did a brain health, a conversation with an expert on uh, Alzheimer's and brain health. We had hundreds of people on that call on a one hour webinar, which if we, in, in the old days, we'd invite them to go to a hotel, you know, blah, 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 blah all the inconvenience, all the costs. 
we had more people at the Brain Health, and we've been doing that now regularly. And many of our programs have seen a higher participation rate by our members. So there's a lot of good that's come from this. I think in the future we're going to do a combination. You know, a good example is if we, we have a wonderful arrangement with Tower Hill, which is a botanical garden in, uh, you know, in Worcester County. Uh, and they have beautiful gardens, they have beautiful museum, all these kind of fun things to do. So what we've done in the past is we've invited our members to go at free of charge. They can go uh, every week, uh, I think once a week, uh, um, we have one day of AARP members. They can go free into the, into the gardens. But then we'll have an event there. Um, and we love that. You know, we, can, we have wine and cheese. We can have a guest speaker. Um, and we want to continue to do that. And we will do those kinds of things. We'll do the shred events in person. Um, we'll do a lot of programs in person again. But we still will do uh, virtual because of the reasons I've given already. Are you set up, just for you, this is a curious question because I know someone is in this situation. Mm. Are you set up so that when you, 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 your staff works remote, that you you have a, a way of analyzing whether they're really working or they're not working? Like, in other words, oh if, my. Uh, well, <laughs> no, the reason all I'll of my staff who are watching. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, well, we have systems in place now which, you know, you have a green light if you are available to talk. A red light if you are in a scheduled meeting or on the phone. A yellow light if you have left your desk. Oh, okay. So there are ways to do that which have, frankly, nothing to do with me checking on them. I don't – that's not the way I manage anyway. No, no. The, the reason I mentioned I know someone yeah. who works – they're, they're out of state now, and they were Ooh. able to uh, – when they relocated out of state, it was – it was a, not a factor. They kept the same employment because they, they deal with the ticket selling of, of events at arenas and sports yeah. sports places and so forth. But the frustration that the uh, person has from and is married to a relative in my own family was that they know they wanted him from a distance. They did that even when he was local. And now even though he's literally hundreds of miles away from the main office, um, they can tell whether he's working or he's not working, yeah. and I think he is a little bit. He finds it difficult to think that. Well, that's not a very good way to teach you. But you know, and let me just raise this. Well, he's got to to maybe got a contract as an employee. They maybe they well, that may be something they have to accept, which is sad. But, <laughs> yeah. but let me elevate this to the most professional point I think I can make on HR. It starts with an understanding. You, when you hire somebody, you have to have that level of trust that they and and you know they have a talent to do the job. If they're if they're a square peg in a round hole, sooner or later they're going to be weeded out on the merits. But on the question of morale, motivation, productivity, I want to say yet again, my staff, and I'm not alone, I think this has been a universal experience, my staff are more motivated because they're getting the benefit. There is a trade-off. There is something to be said for at noontime when they're, or 1230 when they're off to get lunch that they're not eating it on their desk, at their desk. They're going out, stretching their legs, walking around the neighborhood, coming back, acting like a human being for a few minutes or half an hour or whatever. But here's the other thing. If it's white collar, now I understand service industry, you gotta be in the room. You gotta, you gotta be dealing with the customer. But a lot of these white collar jobs, I know my staff are answering emails at night at night. They're getting online at six in the morning to check on emails. They're working not normal hours. So to say, are you working, is a kind of a misnomer. Because in my judgment, it's what 
what did you what were you supposed to accomplish this week in terms of um, the objectives of the job did you have to get X number of emails out X number of letters out? you know whatever you're doing um, it's sort of an objective measurement of productivity if they're meeting those productivity you know marks then it's good that they're even happier able to uh, be working from home and I, as I say I miss and I want my staff to come back to the office as much as possible because the camaraderie that comes from that personal experience the way you know how I would describe it it's like you and I right now I could talk to you three times a week like I talked to my mother even on FaceTime it's not the same when you're giving her a hug it's not the same when you're sitting like you and I are right now and so once in a while we have to acknowledge that that personal contact is part of the human condition and even if you're antisocial, at some point, you know, you want to get to know the boss better. And you're not going to know the boss better. And you're not going to be able to prove yourself the way there's a full measure of how you mm -hmm. assess somebody. Mm -hmm. One thing I, I, we haven't touched on, which before you go, I'd like to yeah. maybe allude to a little bit. And that is, in a, and this is, has to do with membership. Yeah. There are a lot of... Uh, you're prom promoting AARP more than well, I am. I'm well, because I, like about I said, my own, my own perception yeah. is that there's so many choices for the small amount of uh, membership for you yeah. pay a year. It's really a worthwhile uh, yeah. uh, gr group to be a member of. And, and maybe as part of that, I didn't realize, because obviously in my own notes, I was going to kind of find out what your membership, but you said you had over 700,000 members. That's 20, over 20% 20 of the people in Massachusetts right. are members. And th that's a, a potent group of people. But... One thing I, I, would, I meant to mention earlier, if you are a member, in addition to all the things we've touched on and, 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 the, and the factors that have changed since the, the epidemic, is that there are sources of where you might have tickets, whether it's in plays, shows, or other types of uh, environments, where you get a discount for being a member. Sure. And oh, there's yeah, there's a, a lot of there's that. there's a lot yeah. of that. Oh, and yeah, so people a, yeah. that uh, oftentimes when they go out, uh, they don't think twice about paying the price of a ticket. Right. But if they did the little research or they check if they were a member of AARP, they may find out they get a 10%, and that includes restaurants and other kinds sure, of places. Sure, there's a lot yeah. of that. Yeah. You know, I want to make a pitch, if we have a, a couple minutes for this. I, I want to emphasize something about seniors in general that I think is really important to acknowledge. We still are an ageist society. We do not embrace getting older very well, emotionally or otherwise. In fact, the joke I usually start my speeches with when I was live would be, you remember when you got that letter from ARP when you turned 50 and how you reacted? <laughs> right? The reaction generally is not a good reaction, and that's the first problem. We have to look at ourselves and say, what are the blessings and what are the advantages of getting older? How do you embrace it in this sense? For example, older workers. Studies have shown that people over 50 who are looking for employment and actually get hired again, they have the hardest time, by the way, getting rehired, but they are the most loyal employees. They take less sick time than the average worker. They are more, they, they, because of their life experiences, generally speaking, more often than not, they're the ones that you're going to find are the most capable of adapting to personal interactions. We've all seen these people before. We know how to handle them. You know, there are exceptions to that. But as a general proposition, older workers are a very valuable part of a, an employer's 
full range of workers. And I constantly encourage older workers to keep in mind that they're an asset. They're not a liability. They're an asset. And, and we've got to keep working on employers to change their attitude about that. Number two is what we know to be the case is that intergenerational experiences in a workplace or in a family environment strengthens the bonds in ways that are very, very important to a society. So having, you know, we, we promote a program in Boston, Chelsea, and uh, Revere uh, that's called uh, Generations Inc. Now they're now called Literations. 200 plus senior citizens going into schools as volunteers, not just one day a week, but I'm talking four or five days a week for an entire school year, sitting down with a child at the after school helping them with reading, helping them with language, helping them with math, whatever it might be. Uh, incredibly valuable to both the child and to the senior. Those kinds of intergenerational experiences are blessings that we need to encourage more of. So I say to people as they get older, you know, count your blessings that you're older. Know that even if you have limitations on your, you know, your mobility or whatever it might be, that there are plenty of ways, whether you want to be a volunteer at a local you know, uh, anything, or you want to be more involved with your neighbors and, um, and, and your family. It's just, it's a constant reminder that I like to make, and shows like this especially, that um, embracing aging is a good thing, especially when we know that it's legitimately a value to express age uh, as the way we do it. In other words, being older means for you, you know, think about it. How many people come to you and say, Ed, you've been through this before, <laughs> right? Ah, I don't remember. Oh, uh, well. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, they <laughs> They do. And, uh, and, you know, it's not just the Wayback Machine. What's your a, name again? Well, that's, uh, look, anybody can have those kind of problems, depending on whatever their yeah. age. But well, in any event, yeah. I want to make that pitch because, uh, you know, I'm now in medic on Medicare. I'm very happy to be on Medicare. And, uh, you know, it's like, hey, let's grow older. Let's uh, consider the fact as an alternative that's not very desirable. Well, on that note, th that's a very mm -hmm. impressive thing to find out that you you have reached that age that you qualify for yeah. that. And I don't know whether you'd attribute that to your tomato garden. Nah, my goats. I've got three goats, Ed. Goats? And uh, 11 chickens. Yeah, and unlike the GOAT in sports, that's real goats. Yeah, no, this is these are real goats that, that are in my backyard in Merrill. is the only one in the city that has goats, a and permit. I, and the Board of Health is okay? I got a permit from the Board of Health. It's right on the door. And uh, uh, in addition so to that? Gardening you, is very important to me. When you're not tending the, the garden or the goats, you up in Wakefield putting up stone walls. When well, I talked to you one day, I I am uh, at a point. Actually, this I was going to make a joke, but this middle finger yeah. still works. But yeah. the fact is, I got nerve damage. I dropped a forty-pound stone on my finger uh, working on uh, building the Great Wall of Wakefield for my son. He's got a you know area. Uh, it's like fifty feet running. Yeah. And uh, I love still doing that. I, I think getting exercise yeah. in whatever way you want. Some people like to run. I'd rather, you know, build things. Having hobbies is a good thing, Ed. Keep your mind active. What's well, your hobby, by the way? What's your favorite thing to do when you're not working or doing this sort of stuff? Well, um, now but you've, you can asked tell the public. You've, you've asked an interesting question. Yeah. And, and I do find um, more recently, because uh, I'm having this problem with my knee, it has been a deterrent to do routine things that before you did automatically and that uh, 
is sometimes you, you're not doing things you were doing before right, because it's, right. it's too much physical activity involved. But hopefully in the near future... You'll be one, back. In one form or another. And, right. uh, Bungee jumping, well, we're golfing, not quite, you know, whatever. We're not quite ready for that, but we yeah. might go to uh, Encore or... So oh, yeah. This, <laughs> well, there's a lot of work on the, <laughs> I don't the wrist use, for that. No, I don't do video uh, oh, video right. machines. That's but anyway, good. thanks well, for stopping hey, by, Michael. And it's really good to see yeah, you nice again. It's you. good to be back. In person, and uh, thank you for all you've done for the city of Malden well, thank over you. the years. And I think this program is a great way to stay in the game. Well, thanks so, for thanks for your kind me. words. I appreciate it. So it was fun. Great old. All right, my yeah, friend. Thanks again. Yeah, and stay well and keep up what you're doing. Yes. Now I had uh, one thing I, I wanted to touch on before. Do we, how do we do on time? Well, oh, we're in good shape. Yeah, that's right. Now uh, he can do his commercials. He can uh, sing us a couple of songs, do a skit. Well, one thing I want to talk about is, and this one has to do with oh. the, um, people are nervous oftentimes when they're flying. Yeah. And, in fact, to this day, I'm, I know people that when they get on airplanes, they, they, they are so nervous that they, it's a difficult and it's to, they're devoid of any enjoyment during yeah. the flight until the plane, take, uh, the plane lands. But what has happened is that, um, just for the point of interest, there hasn't been a major... Air crash in, wow. in America since 2009. That's 12 years ago. That's 12 ago. years. And what has happened is that uh, if, you, if you measure it in terms of the population, there have been 7 billion people have flown an airplane as a passenger in America in the last 12 years. And there was one individual fatality, which I'll, I'll discuss in a little bit more detail. Oh, my God. But there, hasn't, but there hasn't been one plane crash. So... Um, that's an amazing record, and even myself on the occasions when I end up going on uh, uh, a, a flight, I, I keep thinking, gee, the, the odds in this plane land and aren't quite as good as they were before because if, at some point something's going to happen, but it just shows you how aggressive America has been towards finding ways, and this is also gives some credit to the not only uh, the FAA but also the, uh, the companies and the industry itself and the and the unions and the people are employed in the unions uh, in, in the airlines because different ways they were urged and encouraged to alert the situations that may potentially be a problem and so rather than waiting for something to happen the industry itself policed itself to some degree and the government stepped in and also did it as well and the result was that right currently you've had 12 years the only fatality that has occurred during that time was one commercial flight where uh, an apparatus which was part of the landing gear came off the plane, hit and caused a, a passenger because of the uh, it hit the hit the near the seat area where was, she was sitting, and as I recall, I think she was an executive uh, for Wells Fargo, and it ended up uh, the impact from the open window upon the damage caused by the equipment that hit the window caused. Uh, her to be pushed up against the window, and she and she died from the impact and the and the um, the other portions of the of the plane equipment that came in contact from her from the force of the the impact. But anyway, I, I just can't emphasize strongly enough if you have any reason to fly. And I think what happens is, the the more fre frequently you fly, the more you accept that uh, you're in good hands. And I think this the the if infrequent flyer would be more likely to be nervous about um, f uh, flying than the one that's, that does it as a regular part of their vacation schedule or their employment. But, but I, I, 
I, I just wanted to emphasize that's an amazing record to go that long with such a, a safety uh, history. You, you just can't Im imagine how that would be um, able to be uh, uh, maintained. But it is, and that's uh, impressive. Um, one thing Michael mentioned about people over age 50 for employment, the post office, and I've mentioned this in the, in the past on my show here, in the post office is constant looking for qualified people to work in the post office. The starting salary, I think, currently is somewhere in the range of $20 an hour, which if you do it by the, if you do the math, that's $800 a week gross times 50, whatever, is about 40000 a year, which is almost a livable wage. But in addition to that, uh, beyond the fact that you have you do have opportunities for overtime, so again that makes a difference in the paycheck at the end of the week. But you're eligible for for benefits. There is a probationary period, and you have to you have to pass a a, a follow up in, in investigation um, that they do, which mostly would be I assume electronically. They don't go out in the field uh, knocking on your neighbor's doors to check on you. But the efforts are made to verify that. The information on your resume is what you are, and I do know situations where people who have applied for employment with the post office have been declined because either they indicated they had some court history or in other instances, I know one situation where the person didn't put that down, and it wasn't serious, but it was serious enough to go before a judge more than once, and um, they didn't put it down because they, they assumed that it would prevent them from getting employed, but in the course of the investigation because they didn't put it down. They weren't, were, they weren't hired. But, again, if you like the outdoors and if you enjoy walking and um, if, you, if you think you might uh, enjoy meeting people in, in the, on a daily basis, um, uh, and, of course, weather conditions are not that always that great. Uh, in, in December or January or February, it might be cold or it might be snow. Or in, uh, currently, as we see here in, in June, you, you might be out delivered meal in 90 degree weather but the fact of the matter is that uh, for some people working outdoors is much more preferable than working uh, behind a desk in an office building and you know there are other jobs within the uh, post office and there are reasons that um, once you've established employment and you're permanently employed with the PO then uh, there are opportunities for advancements and, and one of which would be if you kind of decided you didn't like working outdoors as much as you thought they do have obviously uh, lots of positions within the post office itself or uh, people in the clerk they're waiting on the customers the other quick thing um, the announcement just came out uh, that the post office is going to raise the uh, stamps that you use on letters that's not as common as it used to, to used to have it but there's people still send birthday cards and congratulations and sometimes there's other reasons why you might pay a bill by mail and uh, it's currently 55 cents a stamp on on the regular mail, and uh, so uh, what you can do is uh, you can buy those forever stamps that they sell, and uh, you can buy them now at 55. So when it goes to 58 this uh, later this year, uh, you'll still be able to use a 55 cent stamp. It doesn't seem like much, but if you're going to use the stamps anyway, you might as well pay 55 rather than 58, and the post office gets their money earlier, and you in the meantime save every time you send out a stamp. So again, uh, that's a little bit of a thing. But the post office job opportunity is something you, uh, you can consider because um, some positions today, they, they routinely require you to have educational backgrounds that preclude a lot of people from maybe even being 
able to be hired, even though, based on their ability, they, they could do the job. But, the, the, but you don't, if you don't get in the front door, you don't even get a chance to move up the ranks. But, uh, again, that's the post office. The other thing I just want to pass on, the, the, the government's always looking for money. And uh, there's now all kinds of stories in the newspapers and in Washington and even at the state level about a surtax on people that make a million dollars or have a large estates and uh, raise the um, tax rate for high earners and that sort of thing. Um, so that's going to be discomfort or painful for some people if some of these things get changed and do it get um, implemented. But um, one, th one way the state of Massachusetts could raise some money without doing anything other than making a change in, in the current system that's in place. Periodically, the state will have number plates that are retired. People um, stop driving, people move out of the state, people, for whatever reasons, uh, no longer want to keep the plate. And, uh, and so there's a limit on, uh, for instance, if you had a low number plate, and that's a, a, low, a vanity plate or a, or a prestige plate of some sort, you, Either, either as a combination of letters of less than certain numbers or it, it, with numbers particularly, it's five or less. And um, so, so uh, what the state does is they have a lottery, and you apply for the lottery, and, and I, I know some people that have gotten low number plates that way, and, and uh, I know other people that um, have tried different ways to um, get a number, low number plate. One way, of course, would be to, to apply, but then what you do is maybe you put in a, an application of each member of your family that had a car, and that way there you maybe give a slight increase in your chance. And um, so the exception would be if you gave up a plate, let's say, for instance, that you had for whatever reason, you could currently the, the rules are you could, you're allowed to pass that on to a family member, immediate family member, and they could it could be a child, it could be a, 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 a spouse, that sort of thing. So they could take the plate on be registered their car and keep the plate in the, in the family. Other than that, that plate is supposed to go into a, a pool. And I know of situations over the years, maybe they're still still done, but there have been occasions when um, people could fudge it, as, a, as it were, to pass off a plate by filling out the form. Actually, it's like a perjury kind of thing because you're, you're saying something that isn't true in order to keep the plate. But be as it may, assuming the plate's being given up, then um, you could end up, the state could, instead of allowing people to pick the plate up in a lottery, which is nice and convenient, hold an auction and sell the plate to someone who wants the plate. And I'll just give you a, an example. A 2003 Mercedes station wagon fetched nearly $420,000 in a Delaware auction last month. This, this, is, uh, this is older, this the $6,800 for the car and $400,000 for the plate. A person actually paid $410,000 for that plate, and the plate was a two-digit number, 20. So um, the, bidder was, the bidding was fierce. The, 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 the one who bid and won it was, he, now he's 83 years old. He, he was a retired dentist. And, he, and he, in any event, he said that he, he and his father used to go to auctions to buy cattle machinery. There was nothing I liked better than looking at an opponent across the way and outbidding him. So th that's one example. Th there's another, and this is in the state of Delaware. There was another one where um, 
they had a um, a plate where it was a four-digit plate and went for two hundred thousand dollars. Now this was a private auction, not a state auction. But in any event, there was another one in a, in a bankruptcy petition, and um, it ended up. To, it was a, in two thousand seven, and they paid two hundred thousand dollars. And the judge says, "This is not a box of uh, gold dollars. This is actually a number plate for a car." The judge was astounded to think someone would pay two hundred thousand dollars for a plate. But anyway. Um, Sometimes people have a higher number plate, and they end up uh, getting a lower one, like this gentleman did that was 83 years old, and then they turn around and they sell the uh, other plate that they have to somebody else. But my point is, if those plates, you only own them as long as you have a registered vehicle, and uh, the idea is that uh, rather than allow them to go to uh, a, a private auction, which Massachusetts doesn't do, but other states do do, that uh, but Massachusetts has this lottery uh, program, which is held everybody. And again, you could judge, make an argument. Well, that makes it fairer for people because you don't have to have a lot of money to win. But the fact of the matter is, if you could raise the money, and and you wouldn't get the kind of money that you get in these plates because once you own them, you could only keep them as long as you had a registered vehicle in Massachusetts. Therefore, it would go at less. But there's lots of number plates with a combination of um, letters, numbers, but they're less than six, and sometimes they're three, and and so they they have a they have a value, and they have a and sometimes the the amount of money people would pay, because there have been situations where in Massachusetts where people had extremely low number plates. And they would keep the car registered in Massachusetts, even though they no longer lived here. And they would have it in a garage, and they only kept the car registered with, uh, because uh, they wanted to keep that low number plate. But again, it's kind of a thought because f fetching money for uh, sources to pay, pay for the support of government that would be an easy way to raise a little bit of money. This show will run again Saturday and Sunday. I hope you've enjoyed the information received today, and I appreciate you listening to our show. Thanks for your time, and uh, I hope again it's been productive and profitable in one way or another.